Hello, thank you for joining me for another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. In this episode, I'm talking with Eri from Japan. Now, Eri lived and travelled in a number of countries before she came to Australia with the intention to work, and she always wanted to come to Tasmania. She's a qualified dance psychotherapist, now living in Hobart with a Tasmanian husband. So, to find out how all that happened, please listen on. Yeah. I entered through Perth. The first thing I noticed was the the vastness of the land. Even mm. I was in the in in the city, yeah. but you know the street is much wider, and I don't know. It, it was just so wide. That was the first impression that I got about this country. I was always interested in the nature and the wildlife aspects of Tasmania. So when I decided to come to Australia, I definitely wanted to make sure that I come down. To Tasmania. I came here in 2015 on a working holiday visa, and yeah, I stayed in mainland doing farm work uh, sorts of things for a while, and then I came down to Tasmania. Why did you want to come to Australia in the first place? Was there any particular attraction? Yeah, I never actually thought I would come to Australia mm-hmm. before. I don't know why, but it didn't really occur to me. But I went to India at the beginning beginning of 2015 for three months I was traveling alone mm-hmm. and then I kept on meeting really lovely Aussies mm-hmm. <laughs> and also people told me that um, whoever I was meeting in India international people were t- telling me that uh, Australia is actually a good place to earn money to save up money okay so my initial intention of coming here was um, to work and to save up a little bit and to go back to India to mm-hmm. learn a bit of dancing in India. So was your intention to, sort of to travel all around Australia or was it always your plan to come to Tasmania in particular? I definitely, definitely mm-hmm. wanted to come to uh, Tasmania. But initially, I think my focus was um, finding a farm work or you know any kind of work and earn some money mm-hmm. and get enough money to go back to India to continue learning dance. And so... Obviously, you've stayed. Yes. Uh, how did that happen? <laughs> so I met my husband in 2016. Mm-hmm. When I was backpacking in mainland, chasing farm work opportunities, I started meeting really nice, you know, lovely people from all over the world. And uh, I started really enjoying and I started discovering how diverse and interesting this country is, country was. So I started thinking, oh, probably I could stay a bit longer and mm-hmm. a bit longer, a bit longer. So, yeah. And then I came to Tasmania and then after a while I met my husband, so changed my whole plan. So how did, how did you meet exactly? I actually met his parents first, okay. which is very unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was staying at someone else, uh, someone's house for two months actually. And this lady and my husband's parents were good friends. And one day, so the lady whose house I was staying at took me to a lunch at their friend's place, which was my husband's parents' place in Dodges Ferry. Okay. So um, I went there and met his parents and we got along well. And they were really lovely. Yeah, just found out they've got a son who's single living in Hobart. And okay. <laughs> 
And I think there were a little bit uh, of um, plan planning behind oh, really? the scene by two mums. Okay. That's what I suspect. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so we met uh, a little bit later and uh, we actually started off as a housemaid. Okay. Mm. Where was the point where you decided I'm going to commit to like staying here? I think when the relationship became serious and I don't think there was any particular time where I felt that's it, I'm staying here. Mm-hmm. But it just happened like that. I just follow the flow. Mm-hmm. I think I just trusted whatever came into my path, I think. Yeah, so it was sort of natural. It was natural to stay here a bit longer. Mm. Yeah. But then uh, we actually, uh, so we got married in 2017 in June, just before my working ho- second year working holiday visa was expiring. And then after my visa expired, we traveled Asia for two months. We went to uh, Indonesia, Nepal, Malaysia, and Singapore. And then we uh, we went to Japan and we mm-hmm. stayed there for one year and a half. No, he never lived in abroad before. So it was a very big shock oh, and challenge right. for him. So there must have been a bit of culture shock for him in Japan. How did you help him adjust I felt to the, quite the helpless, to be honest, because uh, I felt I, well, it was very challenging for both of us. And for my husband, it was, uh, you know, as I said, it was first time for him to be in a foreign country. And especially that, you know, the country he came was such a different country from where he's from. So he felt like he was cut off from all the familiarities in Mm -hmm. life so he struggled a lot he didn't speak any Japanese he didn't know anyone apart from me and my family you know the culture it's so different so yeah it was a very difficult time for him and also for me because um, I felt like I was um, sort of trapped in between two opposing cultures so I could you know I could feel his struggle and I could understand his uh, perspective because I I lived here mm-hmm. and I lived in Europe before. So I could, I kind of could uh, associate, I could relate to the Western cultural perspectives. But also at the same time, I grew up, you know, obviously in Japan. So I could totally understand my parents' perspective. And mm-hmm. sometimes the gap was too big. And I wow. felt like I was in between. I was trying to bridge the both. But, yeah. you know, when you are also at readjusting to your culture, it's not very easy. Sometimes, you know, like you have to prioritize yourself, but then sometimes it doesn't work. So it was a constant sort of struggle for the first half a year. But then we found, uh, we moved. We were actually living at my parents' place for the first half a year. Then we found a little place to rent about 30 minutes away from my parents' house. And then, yeah, then I, I felt the situation became much better. So... Tell me a bit about uh, where you grew up. I grew up in Nara, in a little, very little town. I grew up in a, quite a um, rural Nara mm-hmm. area, area in Nara. So, but I think most of the people uh, would think about Dia and Daibutsu and Temple when you hear about Nara. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a very traditional place. It used to be a capital many, many years ago, many, 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 many years ago. So it's very 
traditional but bit less touristy work not bad quite much uh, less touristy than Kyoto I personally quite like Nara it's quite small and relaxing and where my parents live now well anyway anyway I spend lots of my childhood there because that's where my maternal grandparents lived mm. so I, I was very close to them so that place is um, surrounded by green deep green mountain river rice field veggie patches so it's a beautiful beautiful countryside so I, I, I guess in many ways it's yeah it's home in old Japan but very different from you know a lot of Japanese would be brought up in big cities like. oh it's I would say it's very different the land feels much wider we don't know the landscape is very different from Australia but you know you <clears throat> you are exposed to so much more nature in countryside of Japan and it's I find Japanese nature really beautiful So when you were at school, did you have any idea or, or dream of what you wanted to do in the future? Yes, um, my mum had, so when I was little, mm-hmm. uh, my mum has this friend, close friend, who lives in the US and her husband's from Israel. Mm-hmm. So when they were back from the US to Japan, sometimes we would uh, mingle together. And then my mum's friend, they had three kids. And then all this boy was just one year younger than me. So when I was little, I, you know, I had this occasional chance to play with him. We couldn't really communicate. You know, he didn't speak Japanese. I didn't speak English at all. But I think that sort of experience, probably that experience became important bits in me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Since then, you know, subconsciously, okay. he stayed with me. And uh, when I went to, when I entered junior high, I was already interested in other cultures, different cultures, races. Um, yeah, I was fascinated. And then when I was in junior high, uh, when I was 13, I had this opportunity to go to Seattle for okay. about a week. It was on a homestay program and uh, our family friend was going to do it. So yeah, I just kind of went along and that was great. Uh, I was 13, young and vulnerable. But I was exposed to a totally different culture, like totally different mindset. You know, the kids were wearing heavy makeup <laughs> at school. And, uh, you know, I was in, I, I went to public school and no one was wearing makeup then, back then in Japan. I want to, you know, like you eat food while you're taking class, which wasn't allowed at all in Japan. So, you know, mm. little, little things. Yeah, so that taught me about oh, wow, there is actually a world which follows a totally different rule from what I follow. <laughs> yeah. And that opened up my eyes, maybe. Uh, you know, I was very young, so it's all subconscious, I think. So, yeah, I was always then interested in uh, learning about different cultures. Well, what do you think was the, the biggest gap between Australian and the Japanese why? What's the biggest thing to adjust to? Mm. It's a good question. <laughs> Makes me think. There are lots of differences, but I feel the way you communicate is very different. Mm-hmm. In Japan, people are not very, yeah, people wouldn't say very clearly about what they think in many situations, I find. But in Australia, you know, people are a bit more direct 
and yeah. there is a bit more clear yes or no. In, in Japan, we have this, yeah, we've got this expression of kukyo yomu, means read the atmosphere, or we read the air, mm-hmm. means you are supposed to uh, guess what the other party is expecting or thinking or feeling or sensing. So there are a lot of unspoken sort of communication happening in Japanese culture. And it's sort of sort of expected. You you expect it to understand. Yeah, something like that. But obviously, you know, it doesn't work in other cultures. And especially if you're coming from a totally different culture, what you expect from the other party would be a, a quite a different reality. So yeah, I think probably the communication is one of the biggest gaps differences but one thing i was sort of told or taught about in japan that an important part of the shinto aspect of japanese culture is the idea of harmony it's like that in the landscaping and it's the principle for a lot of things and that Mm. in social relations that's the principle that social relations are based on Mm. is that so right where you, you no one you shouldn't make waves. Yeah, well, you shouldn't make waves. That's a very good expression, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely true. Yeah, I think you call it tall poppy here. Like we say, tall nail gets smashed in. So the popping out nail. So if you are the person who stands out, you get sort of, you know, knocked down. Okay. Sort of pushed in, pushed back in to to fit in the the homogenous context. So I, I think probably many uh, Japanese people who went out and came to different countries might experience that sort of freeing sensation because yeah, in Japan you're expected to fit in. I think yeah. there is a lot of uh, a quite strong expectation in the culture to fit in. It's not about right or wrong, I find, uh, because um, the harmony is very, I find, is very important. Yeah. You know, the sense of community and because it sort of, I think, makes you care as well. Like you're a bit, you know, like you would be a bit more concerned about others yeah. in the community because it's less individualistic there. But then again, you know, sometimes it's hard to do mm-hmm. what you want to do. Yeah. So you probably have to suppress what you really want to do uh, so you fit in. So there are always two sort of, you know, opposing current yeah, going. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Did you find having been out of Japan for a while and then going back that you were questioning some of the things that you had previously done? Questioning. Mm. Or that you saw them in a, some maybe customs or traditions in a different way? Yeah, so when I go back to Japan after spending a few, one or two um, years in yeah abroad or different countries i always face how do you call it counter cultural shock just visibly i get always very surprised surprised because we all look look so similar to each other oh really yeah (laughs) like you know many young people dye their hairs but mainly we have in general quite dark hair yeah you know the facial structure is sort of similar and a similar height and yeah, but I'm here, like you see different, different races, international people, yeah. and the height, you know, the figure of people are so different. The body shapes, I meant, facial structures. So visibly, I always get sort of like, oh, wow, everyone looks the same. You know, <laughs> first a couple of days, I get shocked by the fact. And also how quiet people are in general in Japan. I think that 
surprises me as well whenever I come back to Japan from abroad, spending some time abroad. I feel like in public, people don't really express their opinions much. Going back the other way, um, obviously you, you said you've been to India before Australia, which I can't imagine there'd be somewhere more different yeah. from Japan. So was it then a, was there much of a shock, culture shock to be in Australia? Yeah, it's uh, because I lived in Europe. I spent uh, close to half of my 20s in Europe. Okay. Uh, I was in Germany and England. So I was sort of familiar with the Western way of living. And uh, I would say Australia had quite a similar attitude to that life I was experiencing in Europe. But in India was a whole different story. But Mm -hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, people say you either you know fall in love or not with India in Japan. People say that, but I absolutely loved it. Well, there are lots of challenges too. You know, like men stare at you, for example, yeah. in rural areas, and you sort of have to kind of. I was trying to look really tough, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> okay. yeah, the way I spoke, the the way I was acting, I felt like I was <laughs> really. <laughs> Uh, not really nice person, but I kind of had to do that to yeah. feel okay and to feel I'm safe. But um, the whole sort of the wild, wildness of the country, the earthiness, um, mm-hmm. the people's eyes uh, that shows the power of life, you know. Mm-hmm. In Japan, everything is so organized, everything is so clean. So, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit lifeless. Mm-hmm. Lots of electric voices. You know, everywhere you go, is shopping center and everything. But in India, well, I, I think big cities would be a bit similar to those. But in rural areas, uh, the wild, <laughs> the raw, rawness, do you call it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> was so striking. And that's something I really loved it. You know, it's so chaotic and uh, people are very direct to each other, but it, it works. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had a few fight, you know, quarrel with uh, tuk-tuk drivers. <laughs> <laughs> but and it was so liberating because, you know, you get angry and they get angry and you say whatever you want to say. They say whatever you, they want to say. And our languages are different, so we don't really understand. But, you know, you understand your emotion each other, our emotions each other. We're angry. And you get to express that and it passes. So, which is very different from Japan, mm-hmm. you know, you are meant to suppress your yeah. anger, which is considered to be a negative emotion or immature emotion to have. Uh, so, uh, the whole, you know, the directness and being able to sort of express those feelings, kind of uh, on the spot, was very liberating, and I loved it, and it taught mm. me a lot as well. As, uh, as someone who grew up in Japan, I still find small chit-chat challenging. Yep. <laughs> like here, we, you know, you enter the shop and uh, or sh- a cafe, people would ask you, how have how had your day been? Mm-hmm. And I used to think, oh, wh- why do I have to share my life to this person who I never met before? <laughs> I think that too. Uh, uh, right. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> I'll cut that bit out. So, you know, on one hand, I find it's nice to, because it loosens up, yep. you know. So it opens up 
as well. But then at the same time, well, if we're Japanese, having a that sort of talk means a it means a lot. I think like you you're asked to open up and you are asked to share your life, and I I do. You know, mm-hmm. I I explain what I've done、uh, in the morning. And you know what I'm up to because they ask me, so I, I explain what I、um, what I'm up to. So there is a kind of a already、uh, relationship forming for、mm-hmm. me because in Japan, doing this sort of chat is、uh, a bit more. I don't know, feels a bit more serious. Not really serious, but it's not too casual. Yeah, because you don't really ask strangers about your life. But then you know, so I pay money, and then. The next person is waiting in front,、uh, in behind me, and then the the shopkeeper goes, "Okay, bye, thanks, next, please." So、mm-hmm. it makes me always feel, oh, I I thought I was be- becoming sort of you know a little bit friends with you, <laughs> and I shared my bits with you, and then now you are sort of cutting me off, but you know, so but I you know it's it's okay, it's just how it is here, and then people talk about their life very. You know, fondly, easily, people don't mind sharing that bits, and then that's it. You let it go.、Mm-hmm. But for I, well, I had a ch- similar chat with my Japanese friends here, and they all have a bit, bit, quite similar experience to mine. So, what would happen in that same situation in Japan? So, when we went back to Japan for and I lived there for one year and a half, one of my job was、uh, working for a fair trade clothing company.、Mm-hmm. So I was doing customer service. Selling clothes, so there we had a, quite a few regular people. But I, because I was a newcomer, new staff member, so I was getting to know the regular customers. And then uh, once uh, one day, I had a really beautiful chat with this lady, who whose son lived in the in the U.S. or Canada, so she could relate to me in that sense, you know, as a as a mother of a kid who lives away from、mm-hmm. herself. So and we had a really beautiful chat in depth, quite in in depth. But then there was a you know like slow sort of folding, and then you know like you sort of start greeting and then sort of like warm up,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you share quite a bit. I, we we actually shared quite a bit. That was really really beautiful. And then there is always a very slow cool down session. In Japanese conversation with strangers or with、okay. whoever you talk to, I find it's just my personal experience. So you sort of know, okay, goodbye is coming now.、Mm-hmm. So you are taking time to say goodbye, and then yes, you separate. Yeah. So I find I usually am left with、uh, after having that sort of communication with someone, I'm left with kind of yeah, quite a I don't know warm gift or something in my heart. I carry with myself somewhere. Yeah, so I think、uh, coming back to this chit chat conversation, the aspect I find challenging of the chit chat is the separation, because、mm-hmm. there is no cool down session, but it's、okay. always very spontaneous.、Mm, next customer is in. Okay, bye. So that's maybe what I find a bit challenging.、Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked a bit about it already, but what would be some other The bigger cultural differences between Japan and Australia,、mm. or maybe even Tasmania in particular.、Uh, here, I find independent and more individual, whereas in Japan, yeah, people are a bit more dependent on each other. Yeah,、mm. so more of a collectivist Collective, mentality.、Yeah. I think so. In general, yeah,、mm. I think it's a probably quite an Asian thing. 
yeah. oh, I don't know, I can't really talk about other cultures, but uh, yeah, the sense of group, sense of community is a bit more stronger there. Jumping ahead <laughs> and joining, joining the threads, what then made you want to go to India? So I went to India for the first time in 2015. Mm-hmm. By then, I lived in Germany. So I yeah. was an exchange student in Germany for one year when I was okay. doing my BA in Japan. And after finishing my BA, I lived in Germany. I worked there for nine months. Where, whereabouts and, in Germany? Uh, when I worked in Frankfurt for nine months. Okay. Mm. It's a, like um, quite a modern city with lots of build, like tall buildings, yeah. banks, lots of banks are there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really That's, my favorite part of the of Germany, yeah. I think. But I really like Germany personally. Yep. There, there was a few years gap be- before I went to England to study. So before I went to India, I had a bit of uh, experience of uh, staying in Europe, European countries. And I really, really enjoyed it being in Europe. But I felt like I just wanted to experience something so different and much more raw, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't really maybe find in either in Japan or nor in European countries. And then a few of my friends already had experience of traveling to India and spent some time there and I was fascinated by their stories so I started thinking about oh one day I need to go to India I really want to go to India yeah so which I made um, come true in 2015 you're now now you're a dance movement psychotherapist is that the right thing Uh, how did you get into that so I was working in Frankfurt for nine months at mm-hmm. a department store, Japanese department store's branch. Okay. So this department store had three branches back then in Germany and I was allocated in a Frankfurt shop. And I thought I would really enjoy my experience there because I was, you know, I got to be back in Germany where I really enjoyed my student life but the work itself uh, the, you know doing customer service selling expensive products basically uh, the work itself I didn't really quite enjoy but then I came across one uh, episode where I had to accompany this couple from Japan so they were a part of this tour group and their husbands was quite sick but they, they you know they didn't speak any local language so um, and then that, that, that time I um, I was quite fluent in uh, daily conversation German. So I got to go to pharmacy with them. And then I uh, got to explain, you know, the use of the medicine. So I was a trans- I was a translator. And uh, the couple was really happy about what I, I've done. And I felt like, oh, I did something really meaningful, which I, this sense I couldn't really get in my work at this department store mm-hmm. and then that experience sort of stayed with me and it made me feel like oh I think this is more heart feeling and uh, I want to do something like this so something more meaningful you know uh, some work that allows me to connect to people in a deeper level mm-hmm. and then that time I was also thinking about oh you know it would be really great to get back to dancing again because I always believed in the power of dance mm-hmm. so I yeah, I wanted to do much more, like something related to dance. So, and then someone in uh, in Frankfurt told me about dance therapy mm-hmm. that time. And it didn't really click with me back then. But then again, this field sort of stayed with me since then. 
And then after I went back to Japan, I started really looking into it. And I discovered uh, there is a field called dance movement therapy or dance movement psychotherapy. And I found this university in London. So I decided to study there. So that's what, what you were doing in your two years in London? Yeah, I was taking the course to become taking the course to become dance movement therapist. And what, uh, I don't know, I only know a very small amount about dance therapy. Could you just tell us about what's the benefit of it and, and how, do you, how do you help people? Yeah, so uh, it's one of the uh, expressive arts therapies. So there are drama therapy, arts yeah. therapy, music therapy and dance movement therapy. And because I was interested in movement and dance, so I took on this path. Uh, so in our dance movement therapy, our focus is our body, mm-hmm. uh, our natural body and body movements, which comes from within. So there is no set choreography or steps to follow at all. So you don't have to have any experience in dance at all or skills. Um, because uh, in dance therapy, we believe that body and mind are one. They mm-hmm. are very closely connected. So, you know, whatever happens to your body affects your psyche mm-hmm. and vice versa yeah so um dance movement therapy approaches through your body towards your psyche because we believe the body is um, um body actually tells so much more story about who you are you your unconscious is sort of um yeah your unconscious finds a channel to express or to to um manifest through your body whether it's a posture or movement patterns you know everyone has different uh, postures patterns and movement habits and so that's a a access channel to the one's um, mind one's psyche inner reality so you're you're practicing that here in Mm. so at the moment i'm not doing you know the fully sort of psychotherapy sessions which i'm really hoping to develop this year um but at the moment um i'm using that skill i find um i'm teaching well it's not really teaching but i'm running the dance session at a organization with for people with uh, special needs mm-hmm. so i'm a dance tutor there and also i've been involved in a local a performance inclusive performance production and as I'm a dance movement movement artist there, so I feel like I'm really relying on my um, knowledge or experience skill as a dance movement psychotherapist to do these works. Because it's quite an uh, unusual thing to do for uh, someone from Japan in particular. And what's one of the things that's been interesting in talking to a lot of the people. Um, I've talked to are doing things here that they would probably not have done in their home country, but because they've gone, when you go abroad, you often have to uh, do new things, do things in a different way, or, you, or you're starting something new. But I guess, yeah. So I guess that was the case with you. Would that be? Mm. Yeah. So there, there is still no course available in Japan to be, you know, like for example, no MA course to mm-hmm. do dance movement to study dance movement therapy in Japan so I think I wouldn't probably be probably be able to take on that path if I was in Japan and yeah I think I agree with you like I wouldn't have maybe thought of it either 
Like I mm. wasn't really, I wasn't really um, interested in becoming a therapist initially. Mm -hmm. I was more in interested in becoming a, a dancer. Or, okay. Yeah. But I think this experience in Germany, yeah, taught me a lot um, mm -hmm. about what I really wanted to do in life. Yeah. So I think it probably happened because I was in foreign countries and I was already maybe experiencing, you know, a challenge maybe. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my identity, cultural differences, all sorts of things, you know, you have to face when you're abroad. Uh, when you're out of your comfort zones. So yeah, all those experiences maybe together brought me to that path, probably. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs>